Hello and salam. Welcome to Muslim Viewpoint, a new podcast series powered by American Muslim Today, a groundbreaking nonprofit digital newspaper which champions civic engagement. AMT informs and empowers the diverse voices of almost 30 million Muslims here in the U.S. and other Western countries. I'm your producer and host, Maya Gaylor, and today we have an interview with Dr. Zulfikar Ali Shah, who is the executive director of the Fiqh Council of North America and director of religious affairs of the Islamic Society of Milwaukee. He recently published his book entitled Islam and the English Enlightenment, the Untold Story, about the connection between Islamic scholars and the great figures of Europe's Enlightenment era. Uh, My name is Zulfikar Ali Shah. I got my PhD from University of Wales, UK and my master's and bachelor from the International Islamic University, Islamabad. I am the current executive director and secretary general of the Fiqh Council of North America and former president of ICNA and Sharia Scholars Association of North America. And I am also the current religious director of Islamic Society of Milwaukee in Wisconsin. So um, your most recently published book, uh, Islam and the English Enlightenment, uh, it's about, you know, obviously um, how the Islamic society influenced, um, you know, the European culture during the Renaissance era. Um, oftentimes, you know, misconstrued people don't really know about this time in history. So, you know, um, how did you discover this connection in between these two worlds? And then why did it inspire you to go on and write this book? Uh, when I went to do my PhD in the University of Wales, I was told by my teachers, uh, especially in Islamabad, that there were so many Islamic or Muslim manuscripts in the Bodleian Library, Oxford, and the Rare Books Library in Cambridge University, and that in the 17th century, England was a poor island uh, without much of state building, schools, colleges, and universities, and there was not much of science, technology, democracy, or human rights in Europe as well as in England. And the Muslim empires, the Mughal Empire in India, the Ottoman Empire in Turkey, the Persian Empire, and the Murakish Caliphate or the Murakish Sultanate, or you can call it kingdom, they were the dominant uh, empires of that time. And the English went and started working in the Ottoman Empire and the Mughal Empire And that's where they discovered a lot of books in mathematics, in astronomy, in chemistry, which was called chemia at that time. They brought those books into England, translated them into Latin and English, and they started teaching many parts of these books in the Oxford University, Cambridge University. And from the King of England to the elites of England, all of them studied these books And this is where what they call the early English Enlightenment started. So that's where, when I looked at at these Muslims' manuscripts in the Bodleian Library, Oxford, or in Cambridge, I started making the connection between the Islamic world 
and the English world. So many big names of the early English Enlightenment, like John Locke, Isaac Newton, Robert Boyle, Henry Straub, I found out that their teachers went to the Ottoman Empire, like in Istanbul, in Aleppo, in Cairo, brought many of the Muslim scientific manuscripts from there, translated them into Latin, and taught their students like John Locke, Isaac Newton from them. So this way, England, or what we call the Western world, was introduced to Muslim knowledge, Muslim sciences, and Muslim technologies. And then they developed it further. And for the past three centuries, they are at the pinnacle of science and technology. And right now, the Muslim world is borrowing from them. But in the 17th, 18th century, the situation was totally different. It was the Muslim world, which was the lender, and European world was the recipient. And right now, the Muslim world is the recipient, while the Western world is the lender. Right, exactly. Um, and that's, I kind of want to touch on that more a little bit later. But right now, I'm going to ask you, you know, why do you feel if this was important enough for you to write this book and to speak about it and to make sure that people know ab about this connection between these two worlds. Uh, because when, you, when we look at the modern civilization, we are told that this is the pure product of Judeo-Christian religious faith traditions. And especially after 9-11, Islam is excluded from any sort of civilization or from any sort of modernity, and especially any contribution to what we call the modern world. And Islam is connected with totalitarianism, with barbarism, with backwardness. And when I was growing up in Pakistan and went to study science, in the, book, uh, in the books of chemistry, biology, physics, or intellectual history, there was not much of a mention of Islam or Muslims or Muslims' contributions to modernity. So a sort of uh, quite, I would say, you know, everything connected with Islam was totally obliterated from the modern history. So as a student of knowledge, I was curious that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed this Islam as the biggest favor of Allah and how could the Muslims be so backward or how could Islam be the source of darkness and backwardness and not the source of enlightenment, enlightenment or modernity. <clears throat> so the journey began when I was a student of college and then I have been pursuing this topic from that time on and this is the outcome of my 30 or 40 years of research work, that it is the Muslim world, which is the source of backward right, backwardness right now. It's not Islam, because Muslims have taken those aspects of Islam, which are mostly connected with rituals, which are kind of inward, but Muslims are not focusing upon the outward, uh, you know, or you can say the universals of this existence. But when you look at the Quran, the Quran tells you, that in the creation of the heavens and the earth, there are ayat of Allah. 
So in the book of creation, there are ayat as there are ayat in the book of revelation, which is Quran. So the Quran, the ayat of the Quran and the ayat of the cone, the ayat of the universe, they are compatible because the source of both of them is God Almighty, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So a Muslim's iman or faith is not complete without combining both the signs of Allah in the Quran and the signs of Allah in the book of the universe, which means reason and revelation. Religion and science, both of them are quite compatible and Muslims must be combining both of them. But unfortunately, in the Muslim world right now, our focus is just upon the ayat of the Quran, and that is also very literal. We do not reflect upon it. We do not connect it with the signs of Allah in the universe, which means we do not focus on the signs based upon our religious convictions. So this is what is the pain in my heart. I want the Muslim world to know that Islam is both religion and education, religion and science, deen and dunya. And they need to focus upon both of them. And the Prophet ﷺ preferred the dua, Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana. That, O oh Allah, give us the best of this dunya and the best of the life hereafter. So this dunya is the mazra'atul akhira, is the cultivation which will determine the, our success in akhirah. So we cannot just ignore the material aspect of life. We cannot ignore the material success and say that we are successful in the hereafter. So we have to combine both the material success and the spiritual success. So this book is a sort of reminder to the Muslim community that our forefathers they were at the pinnacle of science, technology, education, philosophy, sociology, psychology. And they gave the foundations to the modern Western world, which they used. And then the modern Western world basically raised it to the next level. And they took it to the height of what we call modern sciences and technology. But the roots of this Western uh, civilization are Islamic. So if Muslims learn the legacy of their forefathers and then go back to it and start combining the science, technology and spirituality or what we call the material success as well as the spiritual success, then we can be again the leaders of the modern world, but with spirituality and with morality and with ethical and moral values. And as you mentioned before, um, this is something that you discovered more in your studies at university. And then for me personally, coming from someone who has gone through the American public education system um, in Texas, <laughs> you know, this connection of Islam is really not mentioned whenever you cover this Western subject of English enlightenment. You know, I, I'm familiar with that. But of course, I, I never knew that um, it was a connection with this you know, the Muslim world, basically. Um, so kind of what do you have to say about that? You know, should this be further incorporated into our public education? Uh, I mean, this is what is called the Eurocentric 
narrative which was created especially after the the british empire became powerful and especially i would say after the second world war that the mention of islam and islamic world was eliminated from this eurocentric uh, narrative of history uh, so my request is to the american elites educators as well as to the muslim uh, movers and shakers to look back at the history and to see the role which islam and muslims played not only in the english enlightenment but also in the american enlightenment and in american founding because many of the founding fathers of america they were very much impressed or influenced by the unitarian uh, movement in england and that unitarian movement was totally totally influenced by islamic religion islamic theology and islamic political thought so even the american founding fathers such as thomas jefferson or benjamin franklin or john adams they were unitarians who did not believe in the organized christian church or the trinitarian theology of organized christianity and they subscribed to the unitarian trend in england which believed in one god which believed that jesus is nothing but a prophet and a messiah and that god is the one who has given the inalienable rights to all human beings based upon their human dignity and human soul so therefore these were the islamic ideals and islamic ideas which were taken over by the founding fathers and the american constitution or the american dream of life liberty and pursuit of happiness was far more closer to the islamic political ideals and islamic concept of unitarianism and human equality and inalienable rights of human being than the trinitarian organized church christianity and actually in this book i prove that the early english enlightenment and the american founding were far closer to the unitarian islamic ideals and the american identity was formulated in conjunction with the islamic unitarianism then and also in opposition to the trinitarian persecutory type of narrative of christendom so this part of history must be taught to the americans and must be taught also to the muslim world um yeah perfect so i can now more want to touch on you know what you mentioned earlier about um how the modern muslim countries muslim majority countries are viewed now um in this negative backwards light um you know like they're viewed how the how europe was before their enlightenment so kind of you know what are your thoughts about that you know how did we reach this kind of like switcheroo and um how do you think that you know or what does the state of these muslim majority countries say about uh human rights and religious freedom uh, let me tell you the history repeats itself and then what happens is that uh the countries or the regions or the civilizations they have got their ups and their downs so the muslim world from the 8 to the almost 17th century they were at the pinnacles of their civilization because there was justice there was sense of equality there was sense of human rights 
and there was sense of what we call the uh, the limited monarchy or what we call the qualified monarchy which was based upon bea or allegiance a sort of democratic system in the muslim world that the caliph or the leaders were supposed to be taking the allegiance of their people and serve their people at that time in the western world they believed in the divine right monarchy royalty the senior uh, or the you can call the superior position of the clergy as well as the nobility and commoners were not given enough rights or equality so that's where europe went through the dark ages but once europe learned this whole concept of of democracy human rights equality limiting the monarchy and made the population or the commoners you know participate in the system in the government in the democracy we saw the blessings and we saw the progress and the development but then when europe became powerful and colonized the islamic world actually they left their sort of divine right monarchy those kind of royalties the ulama being the sort of clergies nobody can ask them the question people have to just listen and obey and submit to the authority so we went into regression because we are right now going through what the dark ages of europe went through in the christendom so honestly i feel that in our muslim world right now <clears throat> even though we muslims claim to follow the quran we claim to follow the sunnah of the prophet peace be upon him our most of uh, you know emotional attachment is to the rituals of islam like sada like zakah say for example fasting but we are not following the teachings of islam on human justice human equality proper distribution of resources education the compatibility of science technology and religion so we are mostly focused upon what we call so called spiritual realms spiritual aspects of islam and we are not combining those spiritual aspects with the material aspects of life and existence so what we are seeing in the islamic world is the dark ages of i would say the muslim world because islam has come to establish fairness justice equality proper distribution of resources the you know the bridging the gap between the rich and the poor uh, distributing the resources properly but look at the islamic world the resources are not equally distributed among the population in spite of having almost 70% of the gas resources in the world and over 60% of oil resources in the world having over 2 billion people and the maybe the largest uh, land uh, basically you can say landmass from morocco to fiji and being in the middle of the world where the eastern world and the western world could not connect with each other except through the muslim world in spite of all of these resources you will see that 50% of poverty sits in the muslim world you will see that basically almost with the exclusion ex- exception of the ukrainian uh, refugees 
almost 90 to 95 percent of the refugees in the world are Muslims. So it tells you that there is something wrong with our political system, with our educational system, with our social system, and the resources are not, uh, you can say, minimum in the Islamic world. There are a lot of resources, but their distribution and their usage is not proper. So this is what makes us really, uh, you know, poor or uh, mismanaged, or I would say the, the main source of that is the political corruption and the financial usurpation. Well, uh, thank you so much for your insight. I don't have any further questions for you today unless you would like to add anything um, about the subject or just anything related. Uh, I would say that uh, please look at the book Islam and English Enlightenment, The Untold Story. I have done some of the presentations in your Dallas area and some of the other areas. Have a look at those presentations. Uh, read the book, share it uh, with your youth, with your brothers and sisters, and also with your American neighbors. Because the American neighbors, once they know is that Islam was a power, Islam has contributed a lot to the early English Enlightenment as well as to the American Revolution. And the uh, foundations of modern civilization or the American civilization, the intellectual foundations are more Muslim and Islamic than anything else. So they will start respecting Islam, respecting Muslims. And I will also like my Muslim youth and my Muslim brothers and sisters to read the book and find out for themselves that Islam has been contributing to the Western civilization from the early 13th century Renaissance, then Islam has been part and parcel of what they call the scholastic movement in the Western world, the humanistic movement in the Western world. And Islam was part and parcel of the 16th, 15th century Italian Renaissance. And Martin Luther, uh, the founder of Protestantism, or you can call it the Protestant uh, Revolution or Reformation, Islam was used in so many ways to come up with these Protestant theology and Protestant concepts. So Islam was at the position where it was lending its resources and its intellectual concepts to the Western world from the 8th to almost 17th, 18th century. And right, right now, Islam is in a weaker position. Muslims are in a weaker position. That does not mean that they will stay in this weaker position for a long time. So if somehow they go back to their legacy, they can definitely, and inshallah, with the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will become again the lenders and not only the recipients. If you'd like to read more about this story and access more digital content, feel free to check out our website, AmericanMuslimToday.com. We'll see you next week on The Muslim Viewpoint.